Ready to boost sales and grow your business without the BS? Welcome to the Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We'll be sharing actionable tips across marketing, sales, and growth without the BS to help you skyrocket your business. And welcome back to a fresh episode of Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And today, I'm joined by Ravi Rajani. Ravi helps elite consultants craft and deliver their signature story in a way that connects and that converts. Ravi, a very warm welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing? What's up, brother? I like the intro. It's like I wrote it for you or something. I'm good, bro. I'm good. As I said to you before, backstage in the green room, as we'd say, it's nice to chill with somebody from the UK. I feel like my LinkedIn network is 99% US, so it's good to speak to somebody who's in the same time zone, mate. Yeah, 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 man. I, I know the feeling. For some reason on LinkedIn, I think a lot of my connections as well are from the US. So I, I get this, get the same feeling. It's always good to have some, some UK guests on the show. Yeah, so with bro. that, we're going to be talking all about the five key ingredients to a presentation uh-huh. that converts. And I want to jump straight in, Ravi, was with why does it why does it really matter how we present um this is a bit of a teed up question but why why does it matter how yeah. good or how bad we are when it comes to presentations well i suppose like take yourself an entrepreneur you can outsource video editing you can outsource the post production of your podcast legals i suck at that um you know i suck at so many different things technology but you know what you can't outsource is how you speak present yep. and pitch your business. So it's the difference, literally my eyes between success and failure. However you put it, if you're raising money for charity, if you are launching a new product, Mm. if you're writing copy for your website, which you know so much about how you present yourself, your mission and your expertise through story is literally a game changer. You, You know, this better than anybody. How many times have we heard, okay, so my product does this and then the the features of this and then this is that you know people people often don't care about that actually not often they don't care about that and the 1984 presentation from uh steve jobs when he yep. released the macintosh shows that man he introduced yeah, man. a villain through storytelling then showcased the solution the crowd loved it so story wins dude story wins yeah yeah and why why do you think that is why do you think stories are so powerful ravi when it comes to kind of putting across an effective presentation I think stories stick. They're just very, very sticky. You know, if, if mm. I give an example, my little cousin, my aunt came to me a couple of years ago and she was like, Rav, can you get Alicia to brush her teeth, please? Because I keep telling her over and over again to brush her teeth, but she just won't do it. So I was like, Alicia, come here for a sec. I went and sat down and I was like, what are you doing? She's like, just watching TV. And I was like, okay, so you thought about brushing your teeth? She's like, no. And I was like, oh man, I remember one of my friends cousins she didn't brush her teeth for four days and i couldn't believe it but her teeth fell out but it's okay like now she just has no teeth and she goes to school but people still love her it's not a big deal she was like what say that again hold up she's like within two minutes she's upstairs brushing her teeth so if you think about it people don't like to be told no do this but present a good story and we're moved by it. it's why hollywood is a billion or trillion dollar industry mm. yeah yeah that, that that makes sense i mean is it because do you think it's kind of psychological because like you say if someone just tells me straight and 
um, in your case, like you've just shared with us there, you're trying to convince a, a child to do something. But I never been li- like particularly being told exactly what to do. But when you reference someone, in your case, you, you basically talk about a story where someone went through the same situation and this is what happened to them and we want to avoid that or we want to make something better. Is it just yeah. because we kind of feel that reference and we kind of feel, oh, well, they've done this or we're missing out on this and it just kind of clicks something in our brain? Or Well, I suppose imagine... Imagine if I said this to you and I actually saw an advert on YouTube, you like must have been about two weeks ago. And it did say exactly this. It was like, do you have stained teeth? Are you feeling like you want a white smile? Well, dial 0800. Now, that's interesting because that immediately when I said that, I can guarantee your shoulders went up and you were like, oh, man, I'm about to be pitched. I'm about to be pitch slapped, right? So the interesting thing is, is our barriers already go up. But if I go, oh man, Sam, do you remember that time, uh, November 2018, when you and I are at that conference in Singapore? You're like, oh, a story's coming. So it's so, so interesting. I think you're 100% correct around the psychology of immediately what happens to our mind, you know, mentally and our body physically when we feel like we're being sold to and on linkedin dude you know that it's a it's a, it's a big problem right so you know, there's so much yeah. science behind this as well so much science behind it there's a book called by mike adams called uh the seven stories that every salesperson should tell or must tell and it's sure. really interesting he goes into you know the different the different ways that our brain processes story, et cetera. He does a whole, whole chapter on it. Super, super interesting. But there's science behind it. But then also the logic will tell us, man, who likes to be pitched to? Nobody. The moment you feel that, your guard goes up. Right. And I, I really want to get into these five ingredients. But just before we do, yeah, 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 I yeah. want to know your thoughts, Ravi, on yeah. why so many presentations suck. Because I can say this as a business owner, as a co-owner, yeah. I've had to sit through demos, presentations so many times. And I'm sure I've given shite ones in my past. I'm sure some people all still think some of mine are. Yeah, um, all of us, right? With that said, why are so many a snooze fest? Why do so many feel like you're just kind of getting pitched at? You're getting talked at? People are literally reading text off slides. There's no real engagement. There's no real kind of question building, rapport building. So what? Why do so? Why are so many terrible? Bro, how long you got? <laughs> uh, we'll have the short version. Let's let's distill it. So there's a few key things now. Let's talk about personality for a sec. Think about somebody who's a part of a company and they get told they have to you know, deliver a presentation. They're representing somebody. They can often feel that they can't showcase who they really are. If they say a specific joke, if they showcase their personality, if they actually showcase humor, will it get slammed? Will they have fear of judgment? You know, there's all of these different things. So what ends up happening is instead of saying, yo, you know what? I'm ge- I genuinely wasn't excited this morning to speak to you guys today because I was actually nervous. People don't say that. They go, I just like to thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. No, you don't. No one cares. Don't don't act like you know what I mean. It's like we say things we don't really mean because we feel like we have to, and it ends up coming across like corporate jargon. So a quick yeah. solution for that is talking to the audience as if they're with you around a dinner table. Right. And it's having the sprinkling in that conversational language like Salt Bay, right? Just sprinkling in a bit of conversational language. That's part one. Part two, I would say, is they're very, very predictable. 
highly, highly, highly predictable. The audience sit down in their seat and within 30 seconds, they know how the remaining 30 minutes are going to go. And the problem is, is because the presenter can't be what they can't see. So if they've right. seen 100 presentations before delivered by CEOs of big investment banks or, you know, startups in Silicon Valley, all done the same way, they think that is the right thing to do. So it's very interesting who you look up to and who you model because that will actually showcase how you present or I suppose display how you are as a presenter. The final thing as well is there is little to no storytelling or inauthentic storytelling because people are scared to being for being vulnerable, which goes back to my original point about personality. Audience can't relate, an audience can't relate to perfection. If I if yeah. I fumble my words just now, people will say, Oh my God, I messed up. And actually. That's an opportunity for connection with your audience because it showcases that you're human. So yeah. use those mess ups as an opportunity to build connection. Yeah. I'd like you to say that many do just seem robotic yeah. and it's rare where people will just kind of say, look, I'm feeling a little bit nervous today. So I might be a bit shaky here and there. So bear with me. And people would be like, it's not like people on the other end, unless they're an absolute idiot, they're going to receive that fine. Right. They're going to say, well, that's fine. We understand. We've all been there. We yeah. uh, we know where you're coming from. Thank, thanks for letting us know. Um, so yeah, that's that's a nice point, Ravi. So let's uh, let's focus on how we can how we can make a killer presentation. Uh, yeah, I'd love you to to walk us through the the five steps you've got for us today. Yeah, man. So I like to take it back to a specific framework that I teach. Now, this framework is called the Truth framework. Why truth? Because think about presentations, especially delivered by entrepreneurs who are pitching, you know, have the goal of ultimately pitching their products, services, whatever it might be, moving the audience through to the next stage of the sales process to have them take action. They feel like, man, this feels sleazy. This doesn't feel truthful. This doesn't feel honest. So yeah. the truth framework is pretty simple. There's five key ingredients which go into delivering a presentation that converts. So ingredient number one is T, which is transform attention into connection. So here's okay. the thing, Sam. Think about it, bro. If I'm delivering a presentation and you're in the audience in person, you're obeying audience etiquette. Meaning if your son is sitting next to you, I know he's one, but just imagine if he's like five years old, he's sitting in the audience next to you. He's like, dad, can I get some sweets? You're like, shh, hey. Ravi speaking, man, calm down for a second. But what about online? You're, you know, you're browsing Tesco show. You're thinking about what you've got to get the kids for their birthday. You've got to yep. buy the wife some flowers. Are you buying audience etiquette? No. What is audience etiquette? You can switch off the webcam immediately. So you need to get somebody's attention. And we're talking about virtually here because it's the world that we're in virtually. Okay. Sure. So how to get somebody's attention is by stacking the energy. And what I mean by that is think about Kevin Hart. I love Kevin Hart, okay? So he goes out on stage. He's like, hey, what's going on, Canada? The crowd are like, woo! How are my people in London doing? <sighs> They're going crazy. And what he's doing there is he's building audience participation. He's building momentum. So you want to do the same in a virtual setting to get people's attention. Because I can't teach you something if I don't have your attention. And how you do that is through using the chat function. Now, there's a specific process which you can use to gather people's attention. But I don't want to bore you too much with that today. But ultimately, you want to use a chat function to stack the energy. Then once you've got people's attention, then 
you can use a story to transform that into a connection. In person, yes, you can start with story. Like the gurus will say, right? Start with story. Yes, but in a virtual setting, I need somebody's attention first. Once I've got yep. it, I need to keep it. Can you give us a quick, perhaps, actual takeaway of how we can get the attention? When you say the chat function, what do you mean, Ravi, there, for anyone that's, that's a bit unsure what that means exactly? Good question. So imagine we're in Zoom, okay? Yep. Now, what you want to do is ask three very specific questions. Question number one needs to be a low pain threshold question. Why? Because if I ask you straight up front, Sam, what's the biggest problem you're struggling with speaking and converting? You're going to be like, who are you, bro? Like, Sorry, mate. Like, I don't know who you are. Ask a question which is highly, highly, highly engaging and makes people want to move forward to the chat function and say, hey, I did this this weekend. Or, oh my God, yes, I'm watching the Euros. Do you see England? Whatever it could be. Ask yep. a low pain threshold question to get people to opt forward in the chat function. Okay. Gotcha. That's that's one. That's question okay. one. Question two, okay, is a medium pain threshold. And it's got to be quantitative. So on a scale of one to 10, how important do you believe storytelling is for the health of your business in 2021? Why am I doing that is because I want a quantitative KPI to then measure at the end of my presentation because it's all about impact. If somebody's, if you're at a four, Sam, and then by the end you're at an eight, job done. I know I've created impact. So make it quantitative. Then the third question is high pain threshold. Sam, if there is one specific challenge that is costing you six figures, five figures, seven figures, whatever it is, a year, every time you present, what would you say that specific challenge is? Now I've got a higher probability of people telling me their big challenge because they've already seen other people in the chat put their hand forward. They've already been typing themselves in the chat. They want yeah. to. And by me saying, oh my God, Sam, dude, that's super interesting. And then giving you the stage to share that challenge. I'm no longer trying to be the hero. You become the hero. Then I can move through the story. This is great. I mean, this this is really effective for sales calls, I'm sure, because yeah. you're you're engaging the audience straight away, as you mentioned, and you're also understanding kind of what they want to get out of it by the end of the video call, by the end of the presentation. So you've they're literally giving you the answers that you need to cover during exactly. the, the duration of the presentation. And if you can get those now, then you're probably on, on your way to, to getting a deal done. Cool. All right. So commanding attention. What, what comes next, sir? So once I've got the attention, still in the T part of the truth framework, I need to tell a story to really develop a connection. Okay. Because you and I both know this. In the world that we live in, somebody sees your podcast, they hear your story, and they're like, oh, my God, I only want Sam to solve my problem. I don't want anyone else to do it. There's hundreds of other people just like you and me, but why us? Well, there's two reasons, right? Our story and two, our proprietary process, which we can go through later. So share a story. Now, a lot of people, here's a tip. A lot of people will say, well, I don't have a story to tell, or I don't know how to craft it, or yep. mm, I haven't sold my business for a billion dollars. I haven't IPO'd yet. So I'm not ready to share a story just yet. Here's the thing to think about. Speaking coach Pat Quinn talks about this and I love it. And he says, look, your stories need to be both extra and ordinary. Ordinary meaning, Sam, genuinely, true story, my fiance has a go at me probably three times a week 
for after I put my clothes in the washing machine, I literally leave them wet and they don't go in the dryer in the garage. And it becomes this cycle where the same same clothes are going to the wash every single day. Now, if I share that story, you're like, oh man, he, this this dude's human, right? He's, he's yeah. like me. But I also- Very relatable. To, yeah, exactly, exactly, right? You either, you either do it <laughs> or you're telling somebody off for it. So exactly. there's a relatable piece, but you also want to be seen as somebody of value. So then Sam in the audience goes, man, I want to hire Ravi because this dude has some expertise that I could learn from. So you also need to be seen as somebody of value, okay? Showcasing your mission and expertise. But here's the problem. People struggle with the Mount Everest effect, meaning, okay, what have I done that's amazing? When people think of crafting their story, they go, okay, I played the piano at eight, was a, you know, grade 10, and then I did this and I did that. People can't relate to that. People can't relate to the, the Ferrari or the IPOing their business or whatever it could be, climbing Mount Everest. How many people have actually done that? You know, so you need to include both a human element to be ordinary, but also yep. extra so you can be extraordinary. Got it. And that makes sense. And does it need to, Ravi, does this story that we tell need to link into what's to come in our presentation itself? Or can it be completely different? Can it be, in your example, uh, annoying your fiance by by leaving your clothes in the wash, which I'm, I'm sure I do more, more times than I wish to tell? Um, oh, yeah. Or has it got to be directly linked to what we're about to, to talk about in our demo, our presentation, whatever it may be? It depends on the purpose. You know, this is a it's a really hard question to answer because it depends on the purpose of your presentation. You know, why are you delivering it? Who is the one person you're speaking to? What is yep. the problem you're trying to solve? So there's so many different ways to look at it. Um, I suppose I would look at it in a generic sense from who is the one person that I'm trying to speak to today? And what do they specifically need to think feel and hear from an emotional and logical perspective yeah. for them to take action at the end of my presentation. Action could mean anything, right? So I would say it, it's not about what, you know, a lot of people use their story to make them look cool, but mm. actually their story is designed to give somebody else significance and make them feel heard and understood. So when you pivot and think, well, what do they need to hear? What is significant in my story, which will give them permission, it becomes interesting. Now, to also give you a bit more depth to that, people will say, well, at the end of my presentation, I'm going to pitch my lead magnet or my book. So I need to tell a story about the struggles I had with writing my book. Well, yeah. not necessarily because that's arguably predictable. But if you want somebody to feel a lack of overwhelm because your book can actually help solve that problem. You may tell a story about hiring a personal trainer because you put on a ton of weight in lockdown. You felt overwhelmed. You felt complete like a former version of yourself, right? And how hiring a mentor allowed you to kickstart your journey and take yourself to the next level. That makes them feel a lack of overwhelm and also helps them understand they need support on their journey. Then when it comes to the end, do you see what I mean? There's a link there, but it's yeah. not predictable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not not just some kind of simple link, but going yeah. a bit deeper, I guess. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Gotcha. Okay. So attention, capture their attention, tell the story. Yeah. Got it. That's the first part. Yes. What, what comes next? R of the truth framework, which is reveal the villain. So you and I spoke about this a little bit at the beginning, but people, the truth is people don't care as much as we care about our products and services, whatever it could be. Now, how do we make them care? 
That's the hard thing. How do we make them care? Nobody cares about this new widget. Nobody cares about this cool. You know, I've seen you talk about this all the time when people write copy on their websites. Like the harsh truth is nobody cares, man. Like, let's just be real. People only care about, you know, how they can solve their problems. So one interesting thing to think about is revealing the villain, which is a common enemy that people can get behind before before you reveal your solution. Now, I'll give you an example. Think about Monzo, dude, in our world. Monzo, TransferWise. What did they do when they first came out? The villain was who? HSBC, Barclays, RBS, Citibank. These big, big people who made you feel that you weren't human, who are ripping you off. They created a villain and then said, oh, hi, by the way, you know, you could deal with us, right? So create a villain that can aggravate the pain in an ethical way, keyword, right, ethically. And also that some something that somebody can get behind that's doing three things. How is it draining their time? How is it creating a lack of energy? And how is it losing them financial resources? Time, money, and energy, because those are three things that people care about. Yep, yep, that makes sense. Any tips on how to find the villain that might be relevant to you, or perhaps you could share your own way of doing it. And I know I could perhaps share share mine um, to, to give some context for the audience. So yeah, yeah. one thing that pisses me off a lot is we're at web choice, we're in the digital marketing game. So we typically do websites and SEO. But with that said, I, I'm often rambling on about the, the fact that I don't particularly like a lot of SEO companies because they try and um, make SEO search and optimization seem like a, a dark art, like black magic, like witchcraft. <laughs> Um, and try and bamboozle yeah. you with a bunch of jargon, confusing technology phrases, um, and just basically confuse you into into buying, which customers have, have told us about before. Before, so we simply say, look, we're we're going to put it in layman's terms. Um, we're going to take the time to understand your business and see if it makes sense for us to to help you. If it doesn't, that's fine. But if if we can, we'll we'll make it as clear as possible. We'll take the time to understand what you want to get out of it and um and go from there really so that i suppose that's one of our villains in one in one situation do you find that you tend to use the same for yourself or your, your customers yeah i mean i'll give you a quick process to think about um for the for the listeners to actually go through which is once we've actually you know understood who we're speaking to which by the way happens way before the truth framework you know understanding who you're speaking to that's a completely different uh, podcast episode but for for example this piece, once we understood who we're speaking to and what are the problems that are keeping them up at night, they may have 10 problems, okay, that your decision maker is struggling with. But Sam, you know that if somebody's struggling with um, getting their opt-in form to pop up, is that a million dollar problem? Probably not. But somebody who is struggling with getting traction or visitors to hit their landing page, and then there's a lack of conversion for people opting into the lead magnet. Now that is a million dollar problem. So think about what is the big problem that if you kept asking yourself, so what? So meaning, for example, I could say, oh, a problem is that if you can't speak with, uh, if you can't present an effective story, you're going to lose business. So what? Well, then if you lose business, you can't pay your employees. So what? Well, then you can't grow. So what? Okay. Is that a million dollar problem? Yeah, it is. Okay. So think about the million dollar problem that you can solve for five figures. That's the way you've got to think about it. So it becomes a no brainer. So how big is that problem? And then pick one. 
pick one. Don't pick five. Many people will pick five and everyone's yeah. like, whoa, <laughs> uh, I, what am I focusing on? Pick one. Nice. Nice. And um, yeah, I think we've, we've had some guests that have kind of used a similar framework, but for your marketing. And yeah. um, one way, I think it was a guy called Louis Grenier. And he okay, basically, cool. what he described was um, kind of using the problem that customers consistently come to you with. So yeah. if, if you're, or if you don't know, if you're a business owner, if you've got a sales team, speak to your sales team. And basically they can give you this fuel because they're getting literally the problems that customers need fixed each and every week. And if you find that there's one you hear more than others, well, use that as your villain, use that as your main juicy problem. And you've, you've got the answer there. So that's, that's a great framework, Ravi, really like that. Um, and then do we then move that forward? Do we then, once we've kind of talked about the villain, do we then kind of say, look, this is how we fix it? Or is there something that comes before us? Step three. Yeah. So the interesting thing is, is once you've moved through and really understood the villain and really presented the villain effectively, and people are aware that they have a problem because people need to be aware that they've got a problem. If they don't believe they've got a problem, you've got nothing to solve. Right. Mm -hmm. So then we go to you inside of the truth framework, which is unleashing your unique mechanism. Now think about okay. this, dude, like you, you'll get this better than anybody. Think about in a sea of thousands of different consultants like me, thousands of different business owners just like you. Imagine if you had a thousand of me who say, hey, you know, I can help you as a consultant, as an entrepreneur. I can help you craft and deliver your signature story on any platform in the world in a way that connects and converts. Okay, great, cool. But then I tell you, well, actually using my proprietary process of X, Y, Z, whatever it could be. Now, I'm no longer competing on price. Now, people are buying into an outcome. Now, I've got a USP to take people from pain to glory. So once I understand what is causing them pain, and I understand where they want to be in 12 months, the question is, is how big is that gap, as Keenan would say, from gap selling, right? Great book. Then, very, very good book. Dude, amazing book. Such a cool book. Love it. Um, I digress. And then what we do is we say, well, here is my unique solution to help you solve that problem. Now, that's very different to a thousand people saying, hey, I, you know, I can help you increase your sales by 25%. Yeah, cool. How many sales consultants are there? Right? How many sales consultants are there? I'll, I'll reference a friend, Richard Harris. You know, he has a specific system called the NEAT selling system. That's his vehicle. So what is yours? Now you're probably thinking if you're listening and if you're watching me, you can see I'm sweating over here, man. It is so hot, bro. It is um, warm in the UK today. Dude, it's right. insane. Um, so here's a few steps to think about how to create your unique mechanism. Step one is, is if I put a gun to your head, Sam, right? And I've loaded it. And I'm like, dude, if you only had to choose three to five steps maximum that your ideal client could take to solve their problem with you helping them, what would it be? Three to five steps only, right? So people normally go, oh man, but there's like, no, there's 50 different steps here. Yeah, but high level, three to five steps, what would they be? And then write them out, okay? Let's say if you're a um, IT consultant, you know, there's initial audit where you get to uncover X, Y, Z, and then you yep. do this, and then you do that, then you get your end result. Now, take, for example, those three to five steps and take the first letter 
for example, of that line. So let's say conduct an initial audit is yep. the first step. And let's say, well, let's not, not even let's say the, the first letter of that sentence is C. So that is step one of your framework. It's C. And then step two, let's say it begins with A. Step three, let's say it begins with uh, can, uh, N. So it becomes the CAN framework, whatever it could be, right? So taking the first letter of each of those lines and then the second word could be methodology, framework, process, whatever aligns with you. So for example, the truth methodology, to give you a live example, is transform attention into connection, unleash your, um, sorry, reveal the villain, unleash your unique mechanism, tell stories that handle objections and have a contextual call to action. And that is the process that you can use to design presentations that convert. So those are the five steps and they actually form a word. Now you can play around with it to see how it forms a word and then you supplement it with the word framework or solution at the end. Is that so the, the process makes sense and is the fact that we're naming it something we want it to be memorable so it's not just saying like you said Ravi look in my case we're the best web design and SEO company in your case you're the best um, speaker or consultant um, yeah. and in whatever our in listeners or watchers industries are is it then placing someone that says look this is how we're going to walk you through it take you from where you are now to where you want to get to and this is the name of it so it sticks in their minds is, is that the thought behind it? Yeah, I, I, you're bang on, man. I think it's three things. It's one, it's a differentiation factor. Two, people love frameworks, okay, mm. because they need to reduce overwhelm. In my head, everything is a framework. When from the moment you get up, what is the first five things you do consistently? That's a framework. So people love systems and they love frameworks because yep. especially as entrepreneurs, you want to have specific systems and frameworks to reduce overwhelm and get to an end result. And this allows you to do that in a seamless way. Finally, what's important as well is you end up going from finger in the air approach to this individual knows actually how to take somebody from A to Z and also allows you as an entrepreneur to start thinking, well, actually, how can I systematize this into a program? Great. Okay. Now I can create systems around it. I can do, you, you know, the story, you can create effective systems around your offer and take people through a specific process. If you're a doctor and somebody says, okay, I want you to do, uh, uh, this, uh, and then actually maybe you could do that. No, no, actually I had a client that did this. Dude, just take this pill. You're like, okay. But if a doctor, <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to prescribe this one solution. It's a specific framework. These five steps, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. This will yeah. help you achieve Y. You're going to be like, uh, okay. You know, they, they do really feel like an expert because they've got the results backed and also they've got a process to help you solve your problem. Yeah. And I guess it's quite easy to digest as well, whether you're just yeah. winging it every time and it's every time it's a bit different. So people can tell you're a bit shaky and perhaps not as confident. So yeah, yeah I, I get that. Okay. Let, let's take it to the, to the final T. Before the, the final H. T of the truth framework is tell stories that handle objections. Now, Sam, think about it like this. Okay. Let's say you deliver a seminar and at the end I stick my hand up. I'm like, Sam, dude, listen, I love what you said, bro, but, I can't afford your services, man. Like, no way. Like, are you kidding me? You, you just wasted five hours of my time. Now, people will struggle with different objections, the spoken ones and the unspoken ones. Now, what you need to think about here is writing down 
the spoken and unspoken objections that you commonly get. Now, we all know that in the world of sales, right? But how often have we actually written it down and thought, huh, looking at my last 100 sales calls, there's a pattern between this, this, and that. Yeah. Writing them down, then you want to think about how can you authentically and organically embed objection handling stories throughout your presentation. So once you get to your call to action, there is little to no resistance on people moving forward. So I'll give an example. Let's say if one of the objections is, is you cost too much. One of the things to think about is throughout the presentation, when you're actually unleashing your unique mechanism, okay, and you're talking about the CAN framework, um, which is what we just spoke about earlier, so you could say, for example, you know, in the latter part of that framework, because it feels aligned to do so. So it's funny, back in 2018, I was delivering a seminar in London and this dude wearing his green shoes, burgundy suit and green socks stands up. He grabs the mic from somebody in my team, stands up and he's like, oh, Rav, yeah, cool presentation, brother. But I'll be honest, Rav, I can't afford your services. Now, what you've done there is you've given the audience context, you're telling a story, okay, given a bit of conflict as well. But now what we're doing is before we move into the turning point and the transformation of that story, there's something very subtle. I've specifically given you the objection. I've led with the objection, okay? I'm not allowing you to make it first. Secondly, I've mentioned my name in third person. Now, why that's very, very interesting is, is People buy when they've rehearsed something. Think about when you've made a big purchase. You rehearse signing up. You rehearse the anxiety that you'll feel afterwards. You'll rehearse, for example, what it's going to feel like once you get the end result. So by mentioning my name in third person, I'm future pacing you to having that same conversation in your mind. Then what I do is I talk about the turning point of this individual when he started realizing when I asked him a few questions on stage that... Actually, he was losing tens of thousands of dollars a year by not taking action. The transformation is within 90 days, he actually achieved X, Y, Z, whatever it could be. Now, I'm not told you by my product, but what's interesting is I've told you the transformation of somebody who was once skeptical about price and then came out on the other side. Now, here's the very, very important thing to think about. Your transformation of your story, if somebody says, yeah, and then they bought my product and they made a million dollars, but your call to action is actually a lead magnet, there's a misalignment. So the transformation of the story should be aligned with the call to action at the end of the presentation. Okay. If you want somebody to uh, book a discovery call, that's what the transformation is. If you want them to um, you know, put money towards your charity. That's what the transformation is. Ensure those two things are aligned. Gotcha. I can tell you a, a ve- well, I guess it's a slightly relevant story. Because um, yeah, you said <laughs> many times we rehearse in our head what's going to happen. So if we're, <laughs> yeah, if yeah. we're perhaps thinking of, I don't know, making a big purchase, doing getting a car, yeah, getting a house, whatever it may be. There was this one scenario, probably about three, four years ago, yeah, me and my now fiance were thinking about going away on holiday. Oh, congrats, Perhaps dude! Get a fiance, when are you get yeah, married? Yeah, yeah, Se- September. Um, dude, I'm in October. Nice man. Yeah, like very, nice. very, very close. Ho- hopefully, we we don't have the restrictions. Hopefully, everything's okay by now because weddings crossed, are so frustrating in the UK. Anyway, that that's um, another convo. We digress. But, yeah, but congrats. Um, 
Yeah, so we were thinking about going to Thailand anyway. We we're in town. We're near the travel agents, my, my fiance mm-hmm. says. Let's go in. Let's pop in. Let's see what they've got for there. <laughs> and uh, we, we'll, we'll just have a look. I said, okay, but we're definitely not buying anything. There's nowhere we're buying. We need to save money. Um, she was like, fine, we won't buy anything. Sat down. Started talking through the the travel agent was asking kind of what holiday you're looking at. Um, so we yeah. told her, why do you want to do it? Um, well, we want um, Lauren, my, my partner, wants to see the elephants or wanted to. Yeah. Um, and she we said, great. Um, have you heard of this place called Elephant Hills? Which if you haven't, it's epic in, really? in Thailand. Yeah. It's, it's basically okay. a three day experience. Anyway, nice. as she was telling us this, I was getting kind of, I said at the start, we're definitely not buying, but we might come back if we if we're interested. Yeah. Then she said, "That's that's great. Well, yeah, we can do this three day experience down in hills. You can do this tours of all these different parts of Thailand. You can do this boat ride. It's a two week adventure." And by this time, my eyes were starting to light up. I was like, "I'm still holding back." Then she played this video, and it literally showed you this three day <laughs> kind of boat trip, washing elephants, staying in this floating boat house, like all these awesome experience feeding the elephants. So I was like, "Sold." Yeah. Um, so I literally went from that video in that case that kind of went from no way near to completely sold. That was completely transformed my um, opinion, which I guess is what you're talking about in terms of kind of slightly handling objections, which I think is is a great idea, especially when it comes to ultimately, if you're a solopreneur or if you if you run your business or you just got to chat to your sales team to understand what are the objections they get week in, week out. Number one's probably it's too expensive. What what are the others that people come to you with? And then, like you've mentioned, if you can tell come some kind of story that links back to how it actually transforms someone, how the product helped, that's relevant, that's it's powerful because you're handling it before they can ever bring it up as an issue. And it's what what's really powerful, dude. Which what you just mentioned is you were sold through the video. Now, if you look at Neil Fleming's VAC model, people process information differently. So you've got the visuals, the auditory and the kinesthetic. So inside of your presentations, you know, how can you create visuals, images, videos, auditory, you speaking, kinesthetic, get people to do breakout rooms, activities, because people, Mm. you know, I could have watched that, Sam, that video and gone, yes, so what? Then suddenly you get me you get me to do an activity of what are the five things you actually want to do? And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, I want to do... So it's really interesting how different people will process information differently in presentations, which a lot of people miss. Mm. Mm. Are there, aware oh, we're coming up for time, but are there any other ways that we can perhaps cover those bases? So like you said, Ravi, everyone enjoys to listen or consume content, I guess, whether that's listening, yeah. whether that's watching, whether that's actually doing. Because I suppose we're limited, especially if we're doing something over Zoom, Skype, whatever it may be. On- yeah kind of how we can cover those other bases and kind of get people engaged on their level, if that makes sense. Yeah, dude. I mean, like some of the stuff I just mentioned before I go into the final part of the framework, yeah. for example, images, videos, but not yeah. enough people show videos and short ones because people don't have time for four minutes, right? Of sure. some corporate sure. video, which no one cares about. It's, you know, do you have something less than 59 seconds? Do you have great images do you have statistics to really close the logically minded that you can do through story do you have activities that you can do in breakout rooms can you give other people the stage to become the hero on your stage i mean there's so many different cool things you can do here um but those are a few to to think about nice all right well let's hear the final one to, to close things off with So the final part of the truth framework is having a contextual call to action. And what I mean by that is uh, I had a mentor 
last year, a guy called Scott Oldford, really good guy. Look him up, really cool guy. And he spoke about something which is called the SSF method. Now, what he talks about that is that what he talks about is rather is people's marketing should be different in accordance with where the customer is in their buying journey. So for example, are people on the sidewalk? Are they in the slow lane or are they in the fast lane? So in the sidewalk, they don't even necessarily know they've got a problem. They don't know who you are. They're just there, right? They're just there to, to be educated. They don't have self-awareness around their problem. In the slow lane, it could be somebody who, for example, knows they've got a problem. Maybe they don't know how big it is, but also they're in the market for taking a look at who can actually help them solve it. Now, the far saying is, oh my God, Sam, I've watched your content. You know, I want to understand more about your unique mechanism. I think you're the right person to solve it. There's, a, you know, two other people I'm looking at. Can I book a call today? Now, you shouldn't have the same offer at the end of your presentation to each person. For example, a product pitch to somebody who's on the sidewalk will not convert. Sure. But to somebody, if you've got 20 people in your audience who are already bought from you twice before, product pitch is great. It would be silly to say, oh, and here's a lead magnet. They're like, dude, I want to buy from you. I trust you, man. So think about, for example, on the sidewalk, it could be a lead magnet. On the slow lane, it could be a discovery call. And in the fast lane, maybe it is a product pitch. And here's a bonus tip. If you don't want to leave your audience with a sour taste in their mouth by going, ugh, Sam and Ram just pitched me. That was disgusting. I feel like this was an internet marketing webinar, right? One thing you can do is end with story. Now, a tip here is loop back to the story at the beginning of your presentation. So if you're talking about going back to the example I gave of hiring that personal trainer to reduce overwhelm. Yep. Now, at the end of the presentation, you can go, back to that story, highlight it, and then talk about the transformation that you received by hiring a mentor. As a result, it prompts them to take action. They don't have a sour taste in their mouth. And you've been able to tell an open, uh, you've been able to close that open loop in your story. Gotcha. So is that the best way to deliver the call to action at the end, Ravi, by looping back to the story? Or should we just be very direct in terms of what we want people to do? Whether that is some kind of lead magnet, whether that is learning more, whether that is taking a actually buying the product. I, once again, I'm going to give you an answer you probably don't want to hear, but it's high. It really depends. I'll tell you why, because there's been times where I will end with a specific call to action of follow me on LinkedIn or, you know, book a discovery call. And there's been other times where, for example, I've not pitched at all because I'm selling something, but I'm selling trust. You're always selling something. Gary Vee will be like, I'm not pitching at the end. Well, you you, you are, you're, you're selling trust there, right? So you're always selling something in some way, in my opinion. But think about, for example, what do my audience need to hear in this moment? And what is gonna have them take action? Don't ask somebody to marry you on a first date. That's the problem which most of us do, right? First date, first presentation, nobody knows us. Boom, product pitch. I yep. mean, we've got to think about it. So it's highly contextual to, the people you're talking to, the sales cycle, is it virtual? Is it in person? Have they bought from you before? So many factors to think about. But those are examples of two frameworks you could use. Yeah, I guess it's all about understanding where your customer's at right 100%. now and making 100%. it relevant. 100%, mate. Nice one, dude. We'll just quickly recap that true framework for, for us again. Um, just the... So, ladies and gents, the truth framework is... Transform attention into connections. So stack the energy, 
in the Zoom room through using the chat function to then get their attention. Once you've got their attention, use story to develop a connection. Then we go to R in the truth framework, which is revealing the villain. Who is the antagonist that your audience can get behind before you unveil your solution? Okay, you which is unleash or unlock your unique mechanism. What is your proprietary process to take your audience from pain to glory? T, tell objection handling stories so that when you get to your call to action, there's little to no resistance. And then H, have a compelling or contextual call to action. Pitching somebody a product on day one of them following you on LinkedIn will not result in a conversion. You need to develop a connection to then get a conversion later on down the line. And conversion today could be them opting in for your email list, but conversion 100 days from now could be them purchasing from you. So play the long game. Very good, sir. Very informative, enjoyable conversation, Ravi. Thanks very much for coming on. Do tell us more about how we can learn from you, how we can connect with you, and the best way to get in touch. 100% 100% man I mean LinkedIn is where I hang out the most man LinkedIn is where I hang out the most so connect with me on LinkedIn I'd love to hear if there was a golden nugget that you took away from this podcast shoot me a note and I'll uh, drop you a video or a voice note back nice one Ravi we'll put all those links to your LinkedIn over at the site businessgrowth.marketing and with that I want to thank you once again sir I really enjoyed the chat today and thanks man. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, be sure to hit subscribe, be interview business leaders each and every week to share actionable tips across marketing, all to grow your business, to grow your sales revenue. And with that, we'll catch you on the next episode. Are you tired of hunting for clients? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending money on marketing, but your website is failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of leads and sales. Want to learn more about WebChoice's unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you? Book a free digital marketing assessment today at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com.